Hi, everybody, and welcome to Phillies Backstage. I'm Tom Burgoyne, and I'm joined by John Brazier, Phillies Hello, Director of Fun and Games. How you doing there, John? I'm doing great. Great day here at the ballpark. We are taping this on Thursday. I know we usually shoot for Wednesdays to tape, but uh, we're, we're taping it on Thursday. It is actually the day of the great ALS Festival. Right, John? Fantastic thing what we do. It's uh, I think we started in the 80s, right? Yeah, I think it was 84. 84. Yep. Um, and it's just, ALS is just a devastating uh, disease that uh, when you see the patients, it just, it just, you know, emotionally gets you. Um, we become attached to some of these guys, uh, guys and girls that, that come through here. So uh, anything we can do to help find a cure for ALS, it's just, it's, again, it's devastating. And, and it's, uh, and you see these patients that are strong and we need to find a cure. Yeah, no question. And of course, the organization, uh, we're front office uh, folks, and we, uh, we're we here and we're part of, I guess, the Phillies family that helps put this day on. Of course, you have all the players on their day off come in, sign autographs. Uh, but the most important part are the fans. It always amazes me and it just lightens my heart, John. Every year when we open up those gates, they flood in here. And I, I passed Tony Burns as one of the, uh, our key people for the ALS Festival. He's got a kind of a cool job. He collects all kinds of collectibles uh, that we donate and we auction off on ALS night uh, and throughout the year for Philly's charities. He gets great stuff, by the way. If you want to ever, uh, you know, some kind of obscure, you know, item from the Phillies that's signed. He gets great autographs. But I saw him as I was coming in today, and I said, "And how's our crowd going to be?" He said, "We've sold more tickets than ever, so uh, than the last couple of years. So uh, the fans are going to be here. Uh, it's going to be a great night." And so, we're going to have our uh, our guest who's coming up. Yeah, he'll be uh, he'll he'll be out there signing autographs. He's in Philadelphia, right? He's usually Kevin on the Stocker. road. Kevin Stockers uh, here in Philly. You know, uh, it's funny when we brought in uh, France and and Stock and Kevin Jordan's like, oh. Wow, we love those three guys. They're hired for the radio. It just stinks because they're always on the road. We really haven't yeah. seen much of them. We saw them in spring training, but that was about it. You know, it's funny. Like when you dealt with these guys as the best friend of the fanatic, yes. and, and myself as a publicist, you deal with these guys, you know, as players, and you can always tell right, almost right away, who would make great broadcasters as far as we'd want to work with, um, but also like who who would. Who would we want down to fantasy camp? Who could be ambassadors like Mickey Morandini? It's always the good guys, mm. you know, with fun personalities. Kevin Franson did not play with us. He played with us how many years? Like yeah, two years, two maybe? Years. Mm-hmm. And I remember distinctly, I he was one of my favorite guys. Yeah, great you guy. Know, Rex Hudler. Now, Rex doesn't have a job with the Phillies, but, mm. you know, you knew he was going to be a broadcaster of some sort he, uh, because it's just... Kevin Jordan. Kevin you know, Jordan. Kevin's great guy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just yeah. Kevin Stocker, Mickey Morandini. It's, you know, these guys that are great guys that you know are going to have a future in baseball. Yeah, very cool. Well, it's going to be great to have stock in here in a little bit. Uh, it was a good, fun homestand, another fun homestand. We did something for the first time. We've never done it before uh, the other day, John, and that was Flyers Day, and it was really cool. I believe the Phillies, you know, it's baseball. Uh, it's just such a fat, you know, not that the other sports aren't part of the fabric of the city, but I really do think a major league baseball team, even when you go to a minor league uh, town, that, that team really is part of the fabric of that community. And I just think it's great that the Phillies are here and just always very open and great neighbors for our friends, the Flyers, the Sixers, and the Eagles. Uh, and we've done nights with other teams. Certainly Carson Wentz had his great softball game here last month. And uh, Flyers Day was pretty cool, wasn't it? I thought it was awesome. And, and just like you, I've got a lot of long relationships with people over there. Lou Nolan, who's the Dan Baker of the Flyers, 
and Lou's great. I've known great Lou guy. for 25 years, and yep. it was cool to have him do the opening lineup. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, well, Dan Baker handing it off to Lou right. Nolan, and Dan was fired up. Oh, yeah. Dan was fired. Dan has his suit on, you know, Lou's in his shorts and his uh, red, you know, Phillies T-shirt, but Dan is the ultimate professional, and, man, he was so excited to introduce Lou yeah, Nolan. Yeah, and then all the crowds yelling, Lou, <laughs> and then you had Lauren Hart. You know, again, we, yeah. we both know Lauren very well, and I'm surprised Lauren's not I always thought a long time ago Lauren would be a rock star. I remember she had a band, and I thought for sure she would be – you know, but you know she's she's carved out her little niche and uh, not little, big niche as far as being the. I think she sings every night, right, for the Flyers. Uh, Shane goes to bear, throw at the first pitch, bounce it a little bit, right to he the did fanatic. A great scoop by the fanatic, by the way, because that glove does not fit the fanatic well at all. And the fanatic picked that one that, and kind of bailed that, that, uh, that the ghost the, out a little bit. That makes bit. up for the Ben Simmons a little error. bit, a little bit, yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, and then Brian Prop, Brian Prop uh, helped the Fanatics shoot hot dogs. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. And then the seventh inning, you know, Shawnee Hill, Sean Hill, uh, and if people don't know the story, it was a guy who sat in the last row of. Uh, Flyers games. He was a season ticket holder, and once a night during the Flyers game, they would show him dancing up there to one of the songs during one of the breaks, and it was always the best like feature of the night. Like it was, it, people loved it. So the Flyers wound up buying his season tickets. He'd go every game every year, and then they wound up hiring the guy as the in-stadium announcer. And now he's the in-stadium in announcer, announcer. Yeah. and he has danced with the Fanatic before, and he was up there uh, yesterday, and they they rocked it out. It was really really pretty cool. Now also, Tom didn't the Fanatic had a chance to uh, help Jim Tomey uh, be honored because he is going into the uh, Hall of Fame. Yes. And he also, it was the day we honored him was the day of his, that he, the anniversary of his 400th home run that he hit as a Philly. Yeah, that was a great, uh, a great to have Jim back for sure. Uh, and I love that clip, by the way. You know, it's Harry's call, first of all. Do you remember that night, by the way? It was, I do. There yeah. was a storm coming. And you can tell, like, and we've all seen that clip uh, a ton of times. But if it, it, the ball is, you know, heading up in the air and you can see the city in the background and you can see the dark clouds were coming, the wind was whipping, and we're like, please, let's just get this home run in tonight. And Tommy. That, that's what made him so great here in Philadelphia. It seemed like every home run he hit was a huge home run. And uh, Harry's call. And then I will say, seeing the Fanatic in some of the – not in all the clips that they show that home run, but uh, we had a special sign made, 400. And I remember being with the Fanatic, and I think the Fanatic had a hard time like climbing up onto the dugout with the sign. It was a, it was a whole thing. He had to run out there because he didn't know that that was going to be the inning – that you know, Tommy was going to hit the home run, but uh, a great memory. So that's why just having him walking around. Of course, he's such a classy guy, John. He's walking through our offices, shaking people's hands. Just awesome seeing Tommy. Yep, and saw Real Cormier and, and uh, Nick Punto. Uh, also, fanatic. Didn't the fanatic do something uh, first time ever? He uh, was a magician's assistant today. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we kind of you. You kind of screwed this one up too, John. Um, <laughs> you know, you kind of helped us set up Brian Prop in the fifth inning yeah. to shoot hot dogs with yes. the fanatics. Like, wow, would the fanatic ever? I mean, he would love to have the pr- you know prop on the, the hot dog launcher with him. That was very cool. But then, like that day, you were asking the fanatic to do a magic trick for these two Australian guys who were. In English, English, English. Two English guys who were in town with the magic show. Champions of magic. But we couldn't do it. We, the Fanatic couldn't do that in the fifth inning and have Brian Prop. So we did make do today, didn't we? Yes. So we had well, t- what happened? Champions of magic, which is performing at Kimmel Center. Uh, but they, the two guys came down and they're awesome. They they had a cardboard box. One guy gets put in the cardboard box, yes. and the Fanatic 
and the other guy are sticking pointed sticks through all el- the box. Yeah, it's like, like over that? 20 sticks. Yeah, getting... what's that game where they, where they, you know what I mean, where mm. you put in the sticks and the sticks and... I know, I'm trying you know to think, too. About? Yeah, and I'm not sure what that was, but... Uh, know, it was like that, and... And then somehow the fanatic could have been an accessory to murder, right? <laughs> well, it would have been one of those things that the, the fanatic stuck that stick in the wrong place and the guy, you know, would have been in pain, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's trusting you. <laughs> and he doesn't know. Or trusting the fanatic. Sorry. Trusting the fanatic. But you're yeah. kind of his agent. So you would have. I would have. Uh, well, I would have had to deal with the lawsuit that filed, uh, fo- followed, I think. Yeah. yeah. But I think we got out of it unscathed. All right. So you've got magic. You got hanging out with Jim Tomey. You know, it's kind of fun being the fanatic, isn't it? It or is. Being, it's exhausting. Being, being the best friend of the fanatic. It's exhausting. Uh, hey, you know what's not exhausting? Just sitting here and talking fun stories in baseball with a guy like Kevin Stocker. And, w- John, we're going to do that right after the break. Bring your family to a Phillies game this season, and your kids can play as hard as the athletes. At The Yard at Citizens Bank Park, you'll find free activities like the Citizens Bank Fan Field, the Fanatic Rock Climbing Wall, and even a mini bullpen for your littlest pitchers. Plus, there's the Turkey Hill Ice Cream Bar and a special Hatfield Franks Hot Dog Launcher. It's all new, right in the yard at Citizens Bank Park, open before and during every Phillies home game. For tickets or info, visit phillies.com. And we're back, and John is here, the man of the hour, Kevin Stocker. Stock, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's doing great. great. Yeah, it's great to have you, you know. You're um, you're back in Philadelphia. How how cool is that now? Well, he's back in Philadelphia now. <laughs> Usually, he's on the road well, with Philadelphia. Well, that's true. But he's back right. with the Phillies. <laughs> yes. We have you back, Stock. You're, you're back with the Phillies. It must be pretty cool for you. Oh, man, it's so good. It's so great. It's been a long time coming, but it's fun to come back and reconnect, uh, reconnect with the city. I've got to you know, buzz around the last three days, and yeah, it's been a blast. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Fransky, you're not sick of him yet? Not yet. Are you telling me I'm going to be? <laughs> oh, give it time. <laughs> give it give time. Give it time. No, of course I'm not. He's been great. You well, know, and loose. you had uh, broadcasting experience, and so um, how's this gig compare? I mean, you feel like you were ready for it, you know? Yeah, you know, for me, I've been broadcasting since 2003. Believe it or not, it's been college baseball, and it's been all television. And for me, I, you know, I had young kids, as you guys know, and I just wasn't ready to get back into a schedule like that. But, you know, two weeks ago when the 93 reunion was here, I wasn't here because my last kid was graduating high school. Uh, for some for some weird reason, my wife said, no, I got to be there. I'm like, yeah, okay, I can be there for that. But uh, yeah, so this seemed like the right time. Now, radio is a new format for me. It's a it's something that's new. It's oh, so you do TV for Pac-10 or Pac-12. Yeah, it was Pac-12 now. So I've been, I did TV for, for, I started with CSTV, College yep. Sports Television, which became CBS and Pac-12. So CBS and Pac-12, I still do college baseball for them in April and May. And then, of course, now doing radio here with the Phillies. So, so what's the biggest different. difference between doing TV color analyst and radio? Color analyst, pro and, and college. Well, for for television, there's more time for the analyst to get in there and and talk about what's going on and replays. You can call up a replay. I can I can ask for a camera shot because I love to be able to look out there and go, okay, here's some unusual things that the fans would love to see. If this guy's playing here, maybe even if, if it's in the dugout, right? You can you can ask for those kind of things. The analyst has space on the radio. It's much more about, and I'm learning about painting the picture, right? So, so Fransky does such a terrific job. Now, he's good. His pace isn't super fast, right? He's pretty slow, pretty steady. So he allows time for us guys to try to sneak in there and, and, and try to analyze a little bit. But, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. That takes, you got to be a little bit quicker. 
uh, on what you want to say and really understand that the fans can't see what you're talking about. So you got to make sure you explain that. So you make up a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it depends, you know. Sure, just make it up. I see how That's it works. Right. That's good. It is funny, like Fransky, because he really does have to paint the picture because obviously people aren't seeing. aren't seeing. So he has to say, he'll t- he talks about, you know, now the jersey, he t- describes the color of the jersey. He'll describe where exactly everyone is on the infield. He'll, he'll describe maybe the backdrop of the ballpark. I mean, he really gets into the details, right? Oh, absolutely. And then he also has, I guess he has different things, too. When, you know, he, he's got it, he, he's set at the chest, you know, yeah. he's at the belt. He's, there's a lot of different ways to say he's about to throw the ball. Right. Absolutely. He'll say all of that. In the meantime, he'll be looking at the pitch. The pitch goes by. He'll be able to call up a bio, like if he's talking mm. about John Brazier, whatever it is. He can tell, hey, this is where you went to school, and yada, yada, and then have a conversation with me or Larry, whoever, that sort of thing. So a lot of stuff has to become uh, habitual for him, and that, that's what takes practice, and he's great at it. He and is. I guess just for you to work with him, right? So you're not overrunning him or you're not tripping over each other, right? It's just kind of getting to know his style and when to jump in, when to stay out. That's part of it. The other thing is, is because I've done this a long enough time, one of the things I've learned, too, is if I really know I want to hammer home a point, I'll reach over and just touch him on the shoulder and just, just kind of so he has eye contact, and he'll just right away know kind to like leave me some space. Kind like what we do on our podcast. Oh, you guys yeah. work that well together. Is that what it is? Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of hand gesturing going on. But we're talking about different hand gestures here, John. <laughs> I think they're a little bit more professional than we are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but Fransky is awesome at that. I mean, and Very like good. you said, having the stats, the bio, I, he always brings up just the, 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 the coolest information, you know, the, the most pertinent um, things that just, wow, you know, it just are perfect for that situation. Yeah. There's that. And I think the other real talent that he has, and I've worked with some some guys on TV that do that too. It's about sometimes it's like storylines coming in, right? Sometimes you know if there's a pinch hitter on the on the bench that you know you're going to see, Scott will have that nugget. It'll it'll be sitting kind of like in you know in the back of his cheek. All of a sudden he comes in in the seventh. There's kind of slow, and then he hits you with some weird story, you know. And he has a really talent and a knack for doing that. And that's that to me is that's all in the prep, you know. Yeah. That's in the prep, and he's sure. great at it. Yeah, I mean, there even like fun stories like St. Louis, right? That the um, the pitcher that we faced on Monday uh, ate a lizard, right? It was a oh, lizard the king. lizard guy, yeah, lizard so, king. He was telling me about that, and and that started in Milwaukee. He brought it up. We're gonna face so and so, the lizard king, and I'm like, what are you talking about? So he was telling me about it. Yeah, so he has that little that little nugget for sure. But and I, I'll be honest with you, in in college baseball, the other difference is is I work with a different play by play guy almost. I mean, I work like six or seven different guys in 30 games, right? Some are really good, and some I'm like, well, I hope I don't work with that guy again, mm-hmm. right? Because they don't know how to yeah. leave space, or they, they know it all, or just whatever it is. There are certain that's, – that's part of the rhythm. That's part of the rhythm. Now, the game has changed. I mean, it's, it's certainly changed in the last, especially in the last <laughs> couple of years. So you have to – and you obviously played back in the 90s, but now you're, you're talking about how – you know, launch angles and uh, exit velocities and shifts and, you know, the bunts are no, are, are bunts and sacrifice and hit and runs. They're all kind of, they're, going, by the like, they're, they're trending down. Like you obviously have to stay in touch with baseball in general, but like, do you feel like you've got to kind of be up with the sabermetrics lingo and kind of what the latest trends are? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, as far as the, I think to touch on the lingo, I don't think there's anybody that will get all the lingo down. I'm, I've, and convinced they're making stuff up as we go. They're like, right. oh, here's a new stat. Let's call it BPISTTU. I mean, what is that? Right? And so, short for bad bib. There you go. Like yeah, or right. So, but what I do, what I like to do is go, okay, the things that I think are relevant and interesting that the fan can follow. Like if they're in their car, can they get this stat? 
right? We're all used to the original stats. We all go with those down. They're fairly easy. And they're not, I think there are some of those that are still useful, right? But the, some of the analytics, I think, yeah, I, I've had to study up on, on how it's useful. And I also will go down and say, all right, Gabe, what, you know, what's the deal with this? Like, how important is this to you? And it's a lot of times it's measured differently. Great example. War, right? Uh, wins against replacement, which is now used at the end of the season when you're looking at. Wins I talked wins above, I think. Wins above replacement. It's all about you know wins above another guy, that sort of thing. Yep. I I actually made a call to my agent, who was my agent before, who does this for a living, and he's very. I said, all right, what, what's the deal with that? Tell me how you use it, right? I can read online like what it does, and I loved his answer. His answer was, well, this is what you know. We have guys that do it this way, and and Clintac and GMs they'll use these numbers, but they still call it war. Right? There's different little things that are put in. For, for the general fan to understand all that, I, I don't think they can. No. I don't think that they're going to be able But they need to understand that there's a sabermetric thing called war that they are using, and they're measuring different things. And then you can kind of elaborate and try to simplify that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, it's over my pay grade, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, back when you were playing, did you, did you guys have – let's just take shifting. You know, there's, a, there's always been shifts to a certain degree. You know, obviously, if there is a di- on a different count, on a two-strike count, when the guy's a right-handed batter, you're, he's gonna, you're not, he probably won't be pulling the ball as much. So if you're playing shortstop, you might be edging towards second base, right? But now right. it's now you're getting like you never played as a shortstop. You never played above second base. No, did you? the only time that I ever shifted that far was we did shift against Barry Bonds, where they had me almost behind second base bag. That was as far as we. I never got on the other side of that bag. Never. And Barry Bonds was really the only guy that we did that on. Um, other than that, the shifting, yeah, the shifting is real dramatic now, right? It's much different now. Now, I will tell you, give you an example. Here's a great example, right? So we'd get into our, we'd go into a series. Like we're, you know, the Phillies are leaving down and go play Nationals here. So tomorrow before the game, let's say this was back in the day, Vukovic would have a meeting with the hitters. And he'd literally be like, he'd go left field straight, center field straight, right field pull, uh, third base shortstop pull, uh, two strikes the other way. Now that's on one guy. That's It was pull this and that. And then it was up to me to know how, how far to kind of go. Okay. Now it's like, all right, you just pull out your sheet out of your pocket and it's very specific. 17 steps here, like Oduble might move. 17 steps here, you know, 20 steps here and so forth. Now, is it different? It's different in that you can really grind the numbers yeah, down. Yeah, they have more exactly. information. Right. It's still Odobo pole, Odobo opposite way, but now it's just much more specific. Right. right. Based on the spray charts. and Based on the spray charts. I will say on the infield with the shifts. Am I a fan of the shifts? Uh, I, could, I really don't care. Like, I still want the game to move, right? It, I will tell you this. If I'm pitching... And I know that Barry Bonds is going to hit the ball 90% of the time on the ground uh, toward the right side. I want my guys to shift. I think it makes sense, right? Until somebody says you can't do it, right. that to me is a winning play. Right. Well, think, right? How many, think how many hits that Ryan Howard mm. got taken away because the second baseman was basically in, in right field. Well, right. you're also talking about two home run hitters in Bonds and Howard. How about the, the guy who's not quite the power hitter, but they're still going to put that kind of a shift on, and they don't go the other way. I think when the players in that category who aren't the 30 home run guys are getting overshifted and they start hitting the ball the other way, that's when you might see, hey, maybe we're, we've and gone I'm too far with this. I'm, I'm with you. I, I do think that baseball – through the history, at least my history of playing, is very cyclical. I, I just think that the shift's a big deal right now. And so what happened in spring training? Like, I'll give you an example. College pitching coaches watch what's going on in spring training because in spring training, that's where the innovation's happening. So in spring training, what did we see? The shift's on. What did we see? They're working on high fastballs. 
That's how we're going to beat these guys. We're going to go high right, fastball. Because they're with the launch angle, they're they're told to yeah. do an uppercut. So you're basically right. going to take out that. Yeah, because they're going. Hey, if you're going to shift, I'm going to try to hit a home run. Right. So I'm going to change my launch angle. Right. So the hardest one to hit is a high fastball. So what's going to happen? We're seeing a ton of strikeouts. Eventually, the hitters are going to have to adjust. To your point, mm-hmm. little guys going to be like, all right, look. I'm enough of this. I'm going to start learning how to hit the other way. Once they do that, guess what's going to happen? The shift, I think, will cycle back, or at least it won't be as dramatic on everybody. I just think we're going to see a lot of this stuff, and it's going to be somewhat simple. It is interesting you said that because in spring training, now that you say that, you know, we did try shifting the outfielders right. within the inning, or within the you know by, oh, yeah. by batter to batter, and there was the media kept asking Gabe, is that something that's going to be a precursor to what's going to happen in regular season? He said, no, we we try things out in spring training. We you know we we don't want to do it the first time in the regular season. Now I haven't. We haven't done it yet, haven't as far as I know. Correct. Right. Right. I haven't seen it. Yeah, and I do know what you're talking about. They were doing it all the time in spring yeah. training, yeah. and I don't know why they're not doing it now. Maybe or, they just. Or how about the Sergio Roma with the uh, with the Rays? They pay they, Sergio Roma, who was basically their you know back of the end bullpen, bullpen guy, former Giant. He started two games in a row for the first inning. All right. Right, yeah, and yeah, that's a crazy trend. He started their closer the closer for the first starts inning. The game, right? Basically, basically saying that basically it's a matchup that uh, I don't know whether it was the starting pitcher had a tough time going through this opening the lineup, or he was dominant in that, and they just get him out, and they can they can get the. I'm not really sure exactly. So, how, so imagine this scenario, right? Let's say you have a pitcher who. If you look at his last eight starts, he's given up, you know, 15 runs in the first inning. Right. And it's been nails from the second inning on. But isn't that his first inning, though? Exactly. <laughs> right. The analytics, the hard analytics say, oh, start him in the second. The soft analytics, and I've talked about this, is use your brain and your eyes a little bit, right? Like, okay, wait a minute. And I, I you know, I think Gabe started off really hard analytics, and he's slowly starting to use more soft. He's starting yeah. to go, I'm going to give this guy an extra guy, or an extra pitch or an extra batter. Yep. Um, and I think that's... I think that's smart. I think you have to use the both. Both Houston, when they won, they figured out how to meld those two, yeah. that hard analytics and soft with the scouts, and it's, a, it's an art. It's yeah, a and Gabe's trick. also starting to get to know his players better, which makes yeah. him make, make sure. that evaluation better with the hard in the head. And actually, sure. Kevin, this is the first time that Tom and I have really talked baseball. Yeah, look at us talking baseball. We have no idea what oh, we're talking about, We're, we're about way. to end that real quick. <laughs> <laughs> God forbid we yeah, talk baseball in this you know, baseball podcast. I was starting to get uncomfortable, Tom, because I was not in my comfort zone. What's with all this baseball talk, we're going to stop. We're going to take a, a quick break. And when we come back, uh, enough of this baseball nonsense. No, uh, certainly we want to talk a little bit more about your career. Uh, we have had some of your uh, ex-teammates the, from the 93 team. We'd love to talk to, uh, to you about that a little bit. I know you're wearing your 93 ring tonight. Uh, it is ALS night tonight. Uh, it's one of the reasons why you're here. This is a podcast, Doc, so we don't know when they're going to listen. So the ALS uh, festival might be uh, done by the time people listen. But uh, it's great to have you here. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Bring your family to a Phillies game this season, and your kids can play as hard as the athletes. At The Yard at Citizens Bank Park, you'll find free activities like the Citizens Bank Fan Field, the Fanatic Rock Climbing Wall, and even a mini bullpen for your littlest pitchers. Plus, there's the Turkey Hill Ice Cream Bar and a special Hatfield Franks Hot Dog Launcher. It's all new right in The Yard at Citizens Bank Park, open before and during every Phillies home game. For tickets or info, visit phillies.com. And we're back with Kevin Stocker. And, uh, Stock, we wanted to talk a little bit about your career and what I, I thought it was uh, kind of amazing. I know you went to the University of Washington, which, by the way, I always think is cool when you grow up 
in a state, and then you go to the state school. And uh, how was University of Washington? Was it a great experience for you? Oh, it was, well, I, I ended up loving it. But I'll be honest with you, when I was being recruited out of high school, it, I hated it. I hated UD. UW is an older school, a lot of brick buildings. Uh, you, you, you go there in the wrong time of year. It's gray every day in Seattle, right? But there were four co- colleges that were recruiting me. It was Notre Dame, Washington State University. So I really wanted to go there because they were top 25 team. They had Olerud and my year, the same guys my year were like Hatterberg, Aaron Seeley, those guys. They had studs down there, and I wanted to play there. Washington and then Stanford. Well, I couldn't get into Stanford. I, did, I tried, took the AC, SAT <laughs> twice not? for whatever reason. Couldn't get in there. Loser. I know. <laughs> my sister got to Harvard. <laughs> okay, I'll see. You Ruben got in. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I found That's out later. True. They took Ruben tomorrow. <laughs> Come on. They'll take anybody but me. Exactly. And uh, so I didn't get in there. And then um, it's funny because we just came from, I came from Milwaukee with the team here. And their bench coach is Pat Murphy. Pat Murphy was at Notre Dame in 1988 coaching and called me on the phone. This is, imagine being 18, and he said, hey, we want you to play here, and this and that. And I was thinking, and eventually, a week or two later, I chose University of Washington, and he called me back and aired me out on the phone. I'm 18, and he's like, you don't want to go to, this is Notre Dame. Like, what? And he's like letting me have it. And I'm like, well, I really don't want to go there now. You know? And I, I made sure to tell him that back in Milwaukee. Did you ever play Notre Dame when you were in we college? We did. Then we played him twice. And, How'd you do? Oh, we, we got him good. Yeah, nice. I got him good. Yeah, I got nice. him good. We used to play him in the old Kingdom. Kingdom Classic is what they called it. But All right. Do you know what yeah. Philly player in the 90s was recruited to be a wide receiver at Notre Dame, would have caught passes from Joe Montana, but instead he, he uh, was lured by the first-round money by the Yankees? Wait, what year you said? Drafted? Uh, this is in the 70s. He, he, 70s, 70s, okay. So, I thought you said but 90s. He played, like, but he what? played for the Phillies. In the 90s. Oh, my gosh. Towards uh, the end of his career. This is not part of the trivia challenge. It's not. Show. No, but, but, but Rex, I, uh, Rex Hudler oh, was recruited uh, to be. He, he was one of the top receiving dog. receivers in the country and was recruited big time by Notre Dame. He was all set to go. Then the Yankees got him the first round and I think just the bonus money. This was history. Yeah. yeah. How about mm. that? Yeah. HUD. HUD was a piece of work, wasn't was he? Was he one of your Stock. favorite? Uh, did you play with that? Yeah, I played, yeah. I played with Rex. And then right, my last right. year with Anaheim, he was an announcer out there. Was he the most... Uh, Interesting character you've ever played with. Uh, I mean, it's got to be well, one of them. Well, the, we haven't hit the, 93 the 93 team, team right there. <laughs> well, I was going to say, wait a minute, ignore it. Rex was the by far the most energetic, yeah. the most positive, overwhelming. I mean, it just was nonstop with Rex, right? It sometimes was hard to sit down and nail him down for a regular conversation. He was always so, that's just his personality. Would you ever go out and socially and, like, how, how was he no, out? Like, he was fine. I didn't go out with HUD much. Okay. We only played for a short period of time. He okay. got hurt when he was here, yeah, so yeah. he wasn't on the road with us. But I liked Rex a lot, and then I saw him out in Anaheim out there, and he was, you know, off in his new career. I, I steal a line from, he had a line that was in yes. Reader's Digest. <laughs> now, Reader's Digest is usually philosophers, Immanuel Kant, or... Is that why you, you read know, it? Famous, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, right. And there's right, right up there with all these famous philosophers, Rex Heller, who had "Be a fountain, not a drain." And I've ran with that for the last 25 years. <laughs> yeah. People you think have. it's my statement, but it's not. It's actually yeah. Rex, Rex Heller. John stole it. Yeah. But what was cool is that you uh, you came out of college. You got drafted in '91, yeah. and then. Uh, you know, the big call up for you, and, and I'm sure a lot of Philly fans know your story, that you got called up in the middle of the season in 93. So it was such a quick uh, turnaround. Did you – you went to Spartanburg, which was, uh, you know, a classic down there. Oh, what, my gosh. What was Sparty. Your, yeah, what, you, what were your, what, well, your experience okay, so, there Okay, so first was Sparty. So you have to understand, I'm, I'm 21. I just got drafted at UW, and I got a phone call. Lee Tom, everything was great. We signed the contract. 
so I had never been across the Mississippi, never been to the East Coast, even in my plane. I was like, all right, going to Spartanburg. Understand, my older brother had played uh, a short season with the Phillies. He was came out of college, believe it or not, was a catcher. And Okay, so I, I get off the plane. I was a second-round pick in uh, 1991. And uh, I get off the plane, and I, I stand there with my bags, and I'm like, all right, where's my limo? <laughs> right? I mean, literally, like, back then, we didn't have internet. And oh, all that. So no. I'm like, where's my ride? So I didn't know what to do. I go over <laughs> to a pay phone, and I called my brother Collect on the phone. And I said, my, his name is Steve. I said, Steve, you know, I'm, I'm at the airport in Spartanburg, and I, what do I do? Like, what? And he goes, he laughs at me. He goes, look, man, you got to get a cab. Take a taxi and just go to the field. I said, okay. No joke. It's literally 100 degrees down there. It's so hot. Yes. I get a cab. I go to the park, and I walk in the left field. Left field, like, uh, was open out there, like, you know, for carts, whatever. And they're out there practicing. I walked right out on the field, walked right down, and, and Mel Roberts was my first manager. Mel Roberts. And he met me, and he took me back under, and... and uh, I got dressed, got my stuff, and then Mike Jewell, a little pitcher, came up and said, hey, I know you don't know me. My name's Mike, but you're my roommate now because somebody <laughs> had to be sent out because that was long A. Wait, so and no limo, and now you're going to have a roommate? What's this I had a roommate in an apartment. Yeah. I had to pay rent. And I was <laughs> like, if you what? went to Stanford, you would have had all that. Well, i tell you what. That's <laughs> yeah, right. Well, people don't know. <laughs> if our listeners don't know, uh, you know, Spartanburg at the time was the oldest ballpark in the country. It was as old. Felt like it. Yeah, and it was. Um, the one down in Greenville, I think, was right up there, too, as far as old. Uh, uh, if you've ever been to Cooperstown, John, and you've been to uh, uh, Double Day, Abner Double Day Field, yep. it's that um, there's a certain the grandstands behind the plate. There's a certain look, old look to it. That's what Spartanburg looked but like. Yep. And uh, you know, there are probably about five people in their front office. The same guy selling you a ticket is selling you the popcorn. He's watering the field before the game. Uh, they, you, they didn't have you selling popcorn, did they, Stock? They there, didn't or? have me selling popcorn. <laughs> no, no. And I didn't play for like a week. Like I had to sit okay. there for because I hadn't played. I you know the school our baseball season had been done for like three weeks and. I do remember when it rained there, it rained. Like, it was raining no other. So I remember one day it rained, rained, rained all day, all night, everything. So I actually called Mel Roberts and was like, hey, man, did we come in? And he's like, get your – he was hot. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's probably not good. I went in there, and he lit me up. And, yeah, no, Mel, he's just like, hey, you know, whatever he was. Anyway, and – and uh, he lit me up. That was a good lesson. I, I was good well, at learning fast. So. How about that? I totally forgot that Mel Roberts was the manager down there. Yeah. I was down there a few times with the Fanatic back in, in that time frame uh, stock, and I totally forgot that. So turns out in 93, you had a couple guys in your camp who wanted you up here in 93. Um, you know, Juan Bell uh, was uh, started at shortstop. Yep. I don't think he was really working out. Kim Batiste was getting some time at shortstop, and it wasn't a natural uh, you know, shortstop, I don't think. The team was hitting Gonzo, so they really just needed a guy who at shortstop who could, you know, make well, the plays. Yeah, what did, right? did Boa tell you? Yeah, so I get called up. I get down here. It took me over. That's mm-hmm. quite a story. We, but I get, I walk in and it's pretty early, and I get my stuff. And Larry comes over and he just he just looks at me. And I turn around and he's looking right at me, <laughs> and he puts his finger in my chest and he goes, "Don't worry about this." He's holding the bat. Don't worry about hitting. Just catch the bleeping ball. Just catch the ball. Now That's let me ask you said. a question. So '93, you come up there. You got old school coaches like Larry Boa, John Vukovic, Jim Fergosi, and Mel Roberts was right. the first base coach. So you have all these old yeah. school. Then you have. The cast of characters that everyone knows on the 93 team. You're a young kid just getting called up in the 93 in right? the middle of the whack jobs. I mean, like, you literally. Stanford are, material, right? Yeah, <laughs> yes. I mean, what was that like? As being a, basically well, a kid in a clubhouse of yeah. just complete nut jobs. <laughs> well said, actually. Yeah. Say. You know what? The, the greatest thing for me was 
they had invited me into spring training. I got an invite. It wasn't the 40-man. They invited me in as a non-roster guy. So I got to know the guys there, and they got to know me and my game a little bit. And in that spring training time, I kept getting called back up, you know, to fill in. Like, they sent me down after two weeks, and I was catching everything. I get into the minor league camp. There's a note. Go to the big league camp. Up I went. And so I got to know them. They got to know me. I was a pretty quiet guy. I asked a lot of questions. So coming into your clubhouse, here I am next to Dalton and Mitch and Lenny and Kruk and all these guys. What I found out years later, I didn't find out, I don't know if you guys know, so Fergosi uh, apparently had had a meeting the night before and called in like four or five of the guys and said, hey, you know, we're 11 games in first place. We need this guy to catch the ball and come up and, and don't be messing with him too much, right? And they were great. And I honestly, I, I just, I asked questions. Darren kind of took care of me down there. He taught me a lot about, treat, you know, dealing with the press, um, all that kind of jazz. And yeah, I just went out there and did my job. Best well, I could, anyway. And it was a historic first game. That's what I really... Oh, man, that was crazy, right? I, that's why I really wanted to... Uh, what, what I wanted to talk to you about, Stock, because that first game was July 6th, and um, we had had that crazy 441 in the yeah. morning game, you know, a couple uh, days before, and then you get called up, and, um, well, it turns out we wound up playing 20 innings that night. What, yep. what do you remember from that night? Well, okay, so first, I remember getting to the clubhouse, and if you remember old Vet Stadium, you had the doors that went down the tunnel, and right next to it was the lineup, and they would slide in, you know, Dykstra. And so I walk in that day and do batting. I'm getting ready for batting practice, and my name's not in the lineup. And Mariano had played short the night before, so I'm just like, for me, I'm like, that's the lineup for today. So I'm like, all right, I got a little time to get my feet wet. I get out there and I'm doing my stuff, interviews and everything. When I came back in after BP, they had taken athletic tape and put it over the eighth hitter and, and wrote my name in with a Sharpie because they didn't have a – and then I was like, all right. You're I was nervous Wait, did someone now. tell you that or you just – No, I just saw you it. Saw it. Saw yeah, it. I didn't know yeah. I was in there yet still. So I'm like, all right. So you get pretty nervous and I got to play in the first inning, a double play ball that kind of settled me down. All right, so there's two stories. I don't know how much time we have. So Go ahead. First, I come – I'm underneath and Lenny's leading off. Now, this is July, first week of July. Mm-hmm. And it's hot. I mean, the vet stay is so hot. So I'm pretty nervous. So I come down into the bat rack, and I'm sitting there kind of messing with my batting gloves. Lenny gets up, long at bat like Lenny always did, got to first, steals second, ends up scoring on a close play at the plate. So he's dirty, sweating. And you know Lenny's got all the junk down his front, chew everywhere, sweating. He comes down under the tunnel, and he sits on like a bucket or something with his back against the wall. And right above him there's this, was this electrical box. And I'm just standing there with the bat, kind of getting ready. So I look at him, and he leans over, and he starts going, blah, blah, and he's spitting out all of his chew. Just like, it's like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, that is disgusting. Right? <laughs> so he spits it all out. He reaches up, and he grabs a pack of chew, and he just stuffs in this huge wad of chew, just stuffs it in there. And I'm like, okay, whatever, whatever. Blah, blah, you know, he's doing that. Puts it back, grabs a pack of cigarettes, Fires in a drag, lights a cigarette. So he's got a big chew and a cigarette. Takes a big puff and he looks up at me and he just goes, Welcome to the big leagues, kid. Just like that. And I'm like, Okay. He's, and I'm like, This guy's smoking in the right, dugout. Right. I'm like, yeah, I've never seen that before. So then the game went 20 innings. Yes. Okay. So we go 20 innings. Well, and, and I, in the ninth inning, uh, they're winning 5 3. Mitch blows uh, a good bit of the lead. LA actually gives up the game tying run. And then it, it, we would have lost in nine innings, but Kevin Stocker makes it great. You did your research, yeah, Tom. Babe. You threw it home. We both I did. did the research. Come on. Both of you, yeah. Infield in, and uh, we're playing the Dodgers, right? To get a ground ball, and I, yeah. I had to go to my right, make a little play. It was a force play, which was really helpful. And mm. yeah, I made that play. And that, and remember, my first game, so I made that play, which was a good play. I think I did have an error. I was 0 for 6 at the time, had a walk and a strikeout, but I didn't get my hit. But I did also have two opportunities to win the game during late in the game. Guy on second, and I grounded out. 
Okay, that's important because the game ends. We come inside. It's one thirty in the morning. Crux like nice game, and I'm like, man, this is great. He's like, yeah, they're not all like everybody's. Re- you know, music's on. I'm like, all right, take my uniform off, take my pants off. I'm sitting there in a t-shirt and underwear, and I get a tap on my shoulder, and it's Dennis Mankey. And I'm like, what? And he goes, get a bat and in the office right now. And I'm like, what? I thought we just won. And Dennis, hitting coach. He's the hitting coach. Yep. So I go in there, and it's Mankey, the hitting coach, Larry Boa, and Fergosi. And me, we're all in T-shirt, wearing underwear, yeah. and flip-flops. And they got, all right, get up here. And they're in there adjusting my stance, and they're, like, working. Really? Even after the win, they're right away. They wow. had noticed something that – and I had struggled in AAA that year. But in spring training, they had seen huh. something that I, was, that I wasn't doing. They're like, hey, you were doing this in spring. What's with the elbow and all this stuff? So we're in there, and they're, like, holding my shoulders and moving me around. I was I'm like, this is a little uncomfortable, man. We're all, you know. And uh, the next day, I came in with early batting practice and got two hits that day and then – Went on a tear. So wow, you know, we, we talked right about after the game. some of those players, you know, how the team would bond in the trainer's room and not, you know, and talk baseball, talk yep. baseball. But even the coaches oh, were, absolutely. you know, uh, you know, still analyzing even after a 20-inning game. That's yep. pretty cool. But I also heard you almost got killed that year because you were, I don't know if it was a mistake or not, but you were using Dave Hollins' as bats. And, uh, Why did that almost kill him? <laughs> because he's a <laughs> maniac. Yeah, right. <laughs> Talk because about being you, intimidated by listen, somebody. Listen, Kevin, you, you came up. You batted 324. They were just asking to play defense. But you, in 70 games, yeah. you batted 324. And I think Hollins was nervous that all the all the hits, you were getting oh, all the yeah, hits yeah. out of his bats. It could have been. But, he, you know, Dave <laughs> and I are such good friends even now. And, and uh, I was, like I said, I was quiet. So Dave and I got along. But, yeah, I came into camp, and I was using this – you won ridiculous bat. That's what they put me in the minor leagues. Big, huge, 35-inch, 35-ounce, no-knob bat. Hit it on the ground and run. Not like today, right? And I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. I was very coachable that way. But when I came up here, I'm like, there's no way I'm swinging that thing. I'm not going on the big leagues. So I'm not going to swing that ugly bat. So I said, who has a big bat? And Dave's like, well, I use this R161, 3432. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. So it was a big, and I like, so he loaned me, you know, three or four. I didn't have any yet. Frank had get him ordered and so forth. And so, uh, yeah, then I went on a tear. So then I'm like, Dave, I need more bats. I need more bats. And a great story about Dave is years later, I get traded down to Tampa and I go down and I'm playing with, for the Devil Rays, which was a different experience. And I remember using a different bat, but wanted R161. You know, when you're struggling, you're always searching for an excuse. And for me, it was always the bats. I'm like, oh, I want to go back to that. I couldn't get any quickly. So I called Dave, who at that time, he was either with Baltimore or Seattle. I can't remember. And I'm like, Dave, do you have any? He goes, yeah, no problem. And the next day, they're in my locker. Nice. He got. He just said, here's like four or five bats. Now, they said, you know, had Dave Hollins and had his team. But that's the kind of guy Dave was. And that's the kind of team we had. Like, you could ask just about yeah. anybody. And he, I couldn't believe it. They were there the next day. He's like, he gave me like six bats. So yeah. you were one of, um, in my opinion, three normal people on that team. <laughs> Thank okay. you. I'm going to say you, Mickey Morandini, and mm-hmm. Jim Isaac. I'm going to give Isaac one. Yeah. Um, so who did you hang out Milt, with on Milt that was, team? Oh, Milt, Milt was, Milt, Milt was uh, yeah. normal. Milt was normal. Everyone else is complete <laughs> whack job. So <laughs> who, did you, who did you, like on the road trips, who did you say, hey, let's go out to dinner? Mickey. Yeah, Mick. In you fact, he's Mick? calling me. Right, Mickey's calling me right now. He's probably like, hey, where are you, man, for the show? But he, yeah, so Mick and I were, were tight, and we hung out. Um, on that 93 team, I didn't go out with Lenny. I can tell you that. Uh, I, honestly, what I did, because I was so new, and at the time, my wife, who's my wife now at the time, was here as well. And I would go in there sometimes if I wanted to go out to dinner. I'd say, hey, where are you guys going? Are you guys all going out somewhere? And I'd make sure to kind of go somewhere else. But on the road, yeah, it was usually Mickey would take me out, uh, do that. Hollins a couple times would take you out. Most of the other guys were at the park so early. Yeah, they were there at like eleven, twelve o'clock playing cards, and that just wasn't me. Well, how, how about right now when you're broadcasting on the road? Who do oh. you? Who do you? Fransky? 
Yeah, we, we actually actually the guys kind of all hang out together. It's it's me and, and Scott. Um, T Mac. T Mac. Yeah, McCarthy's there. Ben Davis. I've been on the road with him. Even Crucky on the first trip. Crucky doesn't come out of his room much, but you know, <laughs> but he he still text you. Yeah. But uh, John, look at you. You're you're over there. You can't wait. You got the piece of paper in your hand. You're ready to fire. Well, questions I know Kevin's got to go uh, yes. sign some autographs. Let me see. Maybe he texts me. And no, no, we're good. So. Are we, are we ready for the quiz yeah, now? Yeah, let's do it. We always close our interview. Thank you very much for uh, coming in oh, today, sure, by the sure. way. Uh, so we always close our interview with a completely botched um, trivia questions from me. Uh, somehow it's botched in some manner. <laughs> always. I, it's disputed answers. It's, it's ridiculous, convoluted. But here's where we're going to go. So I found out, Tom, that uh, Kevin is a Friends fan. Scott, oh. Scott Kingery is also a Friends fan, yeah. I found out. So TV show. I've got Love some it. Friends yeah. questions. I also found out that you – I've got one gold rush. Okay. A, it's on the Discovery Channel that you're a big uh, fan of that. Not going to get me on that. <laughs> and I've got – because you had a smoothie store, right? How long did you have that smoothie store? Two and a half years too long. Uh, yeah. How about acai okay. bowls? You sell those? We sold acai smoothies, but we didn't do the bowl. Ah, uh, the bowls are awesome. But you could I add granola like to it. Yeah, yeah. I do they like that. They were good. So I'm going to ask you one ice cream okay. uh, question on that. So let's start off with friends, okay? okay. Oh, uh, Tom, what does he win? Oh, he wins. I know what he wins. He wins a uh, commute. Um, com- uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the solar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, uh, our solar-powered <laughs> Liberty Bell. That uh, <laughs> remember the the Bob and Belly? Yes. I'm not sure I want yes. it anymore. I can't explain what it is. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah, the bobbing right in front of you. <laughs> exactly. The community right. energy. Okay, I was trying excited? to get my sponsor. Uh, right. I'm so that? pumped for that right. thing. Here yeah. we go. We'll do this quickly. Okay. Which of the girls? You have to. We'll just. We'll, we'll judge at the end whether you won. Go ahead. Which of the girls did Joey mistakenly see in the shower? Was it A. Rachel, B. None of them, C. Phoebe, or D. Monica? I definitely saw one in the shower. I think it was Rachel. He was trying to see Rachel, but he oh. ran into Monica. Monica instead. All right. Oh, he takes you got to give me half a point. Uh, we'll give you half yeah. a point. All right. Half Who fell into an open grave? Okay. Do you know, it was like a total phobia of this person. Was it Ross, Joey, Chandler, or Phoebe? Oh, the open grave. Fell into an open grave. Joey. No, it was Ross. Ross. Yeah. All right. I knew that one. You knew that one? Yeah. I was thinking right. of the one on the beach. What <laughs> What heirloom did Phoebe inherit? Oh, my gosh. Did she inherit a fur coat, a chair, a dollhouse, or a puppy? Fur coat. Fur coat. Look at you. Bang. He's <laughs> right, got one right. You're on a roll. Although she was totally against that, right? But that's that's why she inherited yeah. <laughs> What's the name of the laundrette the girls use? Is it called oh, man. Launder- like- Launderama? Clean it with a K, suds and stuff, or laundry room? I'll say suds and stuff. I don't know that one. That's like from the first yeah, episode. That's a, that's a, tough, John, one. That's we'll, a we'll, tough one. We'll do a couple. We'll just do a couple more here. Uh, what did Chandler get drunk on at Joey's birthday party? Was it jello shots, no. punch, vodka and cranberry, or wine? Oh, man. I'll give you a hint. He had a bright green tongue afterwards. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, but I don't remember the name of it. I remember the, the liquid. What are they again? Uh, jello shots. There you go. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> jello shots, exactly. <laughs> right. I like your subtle hint. Yes. little hint there. <laughs> what did Joey eat for $50? A oh. glass of fat, a donut, a book, or a bag of chips? He ate a glass of fat. No, he ate a, actually ate a book. All right, last two questions. How am I doing? You're, you're not, doing fine. You're, you were, you're you were fine. concentrating too much on that. Uh, in the reality show Gold Rush, which you watch line. all the time on Discovery yes. Network, name the miner's name oh. who got in a bar- bad car accident before the show. He became addicted to pain medication, was eventually terminated for failing to achieve a 100-ounce goal. Was it A, Michael Halstead, B, James Harness, C, Dave Turin, or D, Jason 
Hessen. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'll say Dave. Uh, James Harness. I didn't know that And one. the last question is, because you had a smoothie store, according to a Turkey Hill survey, we serve Turkey Hill here, right? Yes, Tom? we do. According to a Turkey Hill survey, uh, two-part question, what is the best-selling flavor and what's the favorite flair, flavor, according to Turkey Hill so, eaters? Okay, so let me just ask, is it ice cream? Yes, it's yeah. ice cream. So you realize I had a smoothie store. Like, I've already it's talked okay. to you about No, but it's, it's in not the same ice family. cream. It is not. It's in the same family. So if you had asked me <laughs> about not. fruit, I got to say fruit and I. That's where there's the convoluted controversy comes in. <laughs> that's I had to have controversy. <laughs> and we were on the phone and you said ice cream. I said, no, John, it's smoothie. Okay, great. And then you went ice cream. You so pre interviewed Rocky stock? Road. I pre interviewed <laughs> Don't you have like a lackey to do that? I, you know, my lackey was on vacation. <laughs> All right. I even told you, like, I'm not sure you're listening. I, I'll say Rocky Road. I don't know. I don't, it's ice cream. I don't well, know. the best selling flavor is pretty generic. It's. What do you think? Chocolate. Vanilla. Vanilla. <laughs> and the favorite flavor, according to the Turkey Hill uh, survey, is Choco Mint Chip. Yeah. So I guess that'd be okay, mint, uh, mint chocolate chip. Nothing to do with smoothies. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> nothing. <laughs> but, but I could tell you in my story, it was the strawberry drink that was the most popular. <laughs> but we've ex- we, we, we did several firsts. We we talked baseball for the first time, and and we uh, continued tradition of botching. <laughs> botching. botching. Well, let me just let me just and tell Stock. Trivia, let me just tell Stock what he didn't win because uh, because uh, I want to get the the sponsor name right on this. All right, Stock. What you did not win is the co- uh, community energy solar powered Liberty Bell. All kids fourteen and under will receive this Sunday against the Nationals. Um, that's what you did not. It's not receive. so easy to read though. Not this Sunday, next Sunday, but uh, uh, it's not so easy to read. That's <laughs> the only thing practice. I wrote down here. I had to get one thing right and I screwed it up. But uh, Stock, you did not screw it up today. Oh, you guys you are crushed great. it. Thanks for coming. Uh, have a great ALS. It's always great, you know, uh, what you guys do and the whole organization gets together for uh, this every year and uh, it's great work. And uh, I know the fans really appreciate seeing you. Oh, you guys are awesome. Thanks for having thanks, me. Thanks, Kevin. All right, awesome. guys. Appreciate thanks, it. Stock. Yeah, thanks, uh, Rob so. Brooks. Cream, hey, man. thanks for pushing all the buttons back there. And uh, that's it. Another edition of Phillies Backstage is in the books. And we'll see you at the ballpark.